filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination non-competition and non-solicitation litigation civil rights and a whole lot more for a free consultation go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster I guess, uh, I want to say last night, um, one of our friends from here on the SB Nation Network, uh, Caitlin Best, who covers the Portland Thorns and sometimes the Timbers for Stumptown Footy, um, was telling a story that I feel like our podcast listeners need to hear. Um, she was coming home from something or other and was walking up to her house and found her two roommates on the porch talking to a man who had two goats on a leash. Um, and as their conversation went on, it's like, well, what do you have the goats for? Is this just a, this is in Portland. So there's the obvious Portlandia level. Like this man just has two goats as a pet and he's just treating them in the way that you would treat dogs. Um, but no, it goes one step further. Uh, this man has a business, which means at some point he thought this is a, a way to make a living. Um, and his business is you call him and you order some flowers and he shows up with the flowers and then he feeds the flowers to his goats and then he goes away. Um, is this like ordering dead flowers or sending a dead fish to somebody? No, no, no. I think the idea is that someone's supposed to enjoy seeing the flowers for the first time, but now they don't have the burden of having to care for the flowers in the future because the goats eat them. And so you also get to hang out with some goats as a bonus. I think that's I mean, the idea behind it. But my, my take on it was that if you really hate flowers <laughs> – and you enjoy goats. This is the perfect business for you because you can watch some flowers get destroyed by some goats. Um, but I don't know if there's a major uh, portion of the population that sits around like, man, I hate flowers. So wait, um, did somebody did somebody no, they, engage his service? No, no. When, uh, when he was walking down the street and they were like, hey, what's up with these goats? And he came over to explain himself. Um, and that is how they found out that this is his business. And I mean, I will just say, even if you hate flowers... I mean, I got flowers for my wife for Valentine's Day, and they just smell good. Like, they give a good smell in your usually grody house. So have some flowers. Have a nice smell in your house. I actually have flowers right next to me right now. Not because I was a good husband and wanted to buy them. It's because my three-year-old, when we went grocery shopping today, saw the flowers when we came up the escalator from the parking garage and said, I want to get flowers for mommy. Just like that. Just really matter of fact. Just very sweet. That's that's also, that's lovely. And also, flowers smell good in your house. (laughs) They look nice, too, actually. Yeah. You guys are not understanding this business. (laughs) Well, apparently, no one is understanding his business because he was having to, like, huckster his business on the street to people who didn't want it. He wasn't selling it. He was just like, oh, well, this is why I have goats. Um, So he's so, he's so far gone from being able to sell his business that he's not even trying anymore. I don't. I don't know. It's, it's Portland. I think it's ghost if you if you really are hustling with your business there. Like it's true. I I don't actually know. I I haven't been within a few hundred miles of Portland in my life. I don't think so. I I don't actually like know. One night in Portland. One night in Portland because my flight to D.C. from Alaska was canceled because of snow in D.C. 
and I spent 24 hours in Portland and had ended up How going. How many goats did you meet? I saw zero goats, engaged with zero goats, bought no flowers, fed no flowers to goats, but did eat dinner in a a hotel that Goat. was formerly a high school, I think, or a middle school of some kind. And the bar was in the old boiler room and there was a movie theater in the the auditorium and detention was a cigar lounge. And there was a giant like heated infinity pool in the, the courtyard. It was it was an interesting place. Portland, man. I mean probably Goat flower eating is the only jobs left to people in Portland because there's just so many people who have moved there. I mean, doesn't that lead to more jobs? Not necessarily. Anyway, we're not going to get into economics, at least not that kind of economics. Hey, hey, welcome. And this is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast and apparently flower economics podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by Jason Anderson and Ben Bromley. We're all from blackandredunited.com where we write about soccer DC United in particular. And tonight we are talking DC United. We're also talking MLS a little more broadly in the second segment with uh, our good friend Matthew Doyle from MLSsoccer.com and the Extra Time Radio podcast. Before we do anything, though, Ben, what are you drinking? So I'm pretty sure I've not had this particular drink on this podcast before, but the last time I said that, the last time I said that, I had had it and I was. I was Roundly rightfully mocked. ridiculed ben, ben by the, the members of this podcast. No, it is not a man. <laughs> I know I've had that many times on this podcast. Though less less recently. That used to be your go-to like every week. Yes. It was great. It was like clockwork and then you stop. Yes, and I mean that's part of this drink is that like I'm just a little tired of bourbon. I've had so much bourbon that I'm just a little tired of it. So I've now what I what I bought like the past week is brandy. I've gone with uh, American brandy, uh, and I'm drinking a sidecar. Nice. nice. So I'm going back to the roots of this podcast, which are old timey drinks that aren't necessarily <laughs> popular anymore, but are old timey and yes, American. That's the roots. Not just. It's not a segment we we added on at the last second because. Martin, uh, the the site's founder, put it in all the game threads, and I thought it was a nice connection to the site and also an excuse to drink. That's not the reason we do it. We do it no. because we do it because that's our that's our raison d'être. Uh, yep. Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, for now, uh, I have a uh, Bel Air sour ale by Brooklyn Brewing. Um, I had not gone into, I went into a predominantly wine selling, uh, liquor store. I wanted some wine. I drank wine last week. Um, but, Year of wine. but while I was in there, um, I happened to find myself near their beer section and saw this bright pink, um, uh, box decorated with flamingos. Um, and it was a sour ale that I hadn't had. So I picked it up. It's, uh, it's pretty good. It's, it's a strong representation. It's Brooklyn brewing doesn't really make anything that's bad. So, yeah. um, this is a solid sour ale. If you're into the sour ales, uh, this one will uh, won't, won't disappoint you. Um, and then in the future, uh, I'm drinking a, uh, a Moscow Mule because I've been to the future and know what happens. <laughs> Can we consider uh, brandy part of the year of wine since it is wine based? Yeah, why not? I'll allow it. <laughs> Great. 
I'm drinking a, a beer I know I've had on the show before. It's Three Stars Brewing Peppercorn Saison, which is now available in 12-ounce cans. Um, yes. Not just what about, thir- what about 13-ounce cans? No. Uh, no. <laughs> they, they originally only, only canned them in Tall Boys, and then yeah. uh, otherwise Six, just 16 did or 32 format. ounce. Uh, 16 ounce. Yeah. Okay. Before that, they only did large Bottle. format 32 ounce yeah. bottles. And so this is the first six pack of, of really anything from three stars. They also had their ghost white IPA. Wait, um, I've had the, the, the peppercorn one has been available for a little while out, out here. Um, well, yeah, I just hadn't seen it. I've, okay. depending on which grocery store I'm mad at, uh, <laughs> I go back and forth between a couple of them in my neighborhood. And one of them, uh, generally has a better supply of uh, three stars and, and a couple of okay. the local ones than the other. And I had been mad at the that one recently. And so my, my beer options had been a little more limited in a different way because they both have pretty good beer selections. It's just they're, they have different uh, biases. Uh, in the future, because I've also been there, uh, I am drinking a Mezcal Ricky. Uh, in the future, in the future, I'm still drinking uh, a sidecar. <laughs> um, peek behind the curtain. Uh, we we recorded the second segment first tonight. No, we've already we, spoken. We ripped the space time no. continuum to go into the future <laughs> just to see what we would drink, and it's had terrible consequences for for our. Uh, we are time travelers, and the fact that we know this information will probably destroy the universe within. Yeah. Two months, probably. It's not so, the left half of the universe is already gone. What we did was yeah. a terrible mistake. It turns left out. shark is gone, and then the, the rest of the right side of the universe will be gone within two months. We've made a terrible mistake. Yeah, we have. I mean, I'm sorry, fam. That you've got two months left. It at the time, I it think felt ben, like a good idea. Just it turns out we're not equipped for time travel. It, we we got through the hard part. Um, it's just we didn't stick the landing. Yeah, I mean, we butterfly affected, and then we uh, didn't do it right. I, I nope. forgot the guy's name that I was going to make fun of. No greater proof is necessary of the mistake than Ben saying fam just a minute ago. Adam, you are a fam enthusiast. I, I am. <laughs> um, only semi-ironically, I admit. Let's talk soccer. Uh, we have a, another data point. DC United played their second preseason game last week, a two to one win over the Philadelphia Union that involved no punches, no headbutts, no red cards, um, it, at least as far as I could tell. Again, I was unable to watch the game live and no replay was available because I don't know. It must be, it must have been preemptive punishment for the time travel uh, that, which, which makes sense, you know cause and effect are not necessarily linear in this new reality that we have created. So this was clearly me being punished. Uh, otherwise the game would have been on replay. So I apologize to anyone who, who wanted to watch it on replay. Anyway, like I said, DC United won two to one uh, Darren Maddox with his second goal in as many games and his second start in, in the preseason for DC United. Ben, what do you make of the Jamaican international, uh, showing up in preseason for DC United. Yeah, I think he's got a small but significant uh, advantage over Patrick Mullins at this moment, at least. Uh, I think he, the fact that he had the, 
the fact of his speed is not insignificant. Uh, I think that complements uh, Emil Assad and uh, uh, Paul Ariola very well, and it helps uh, the central midfield, and they're likely to play a lot on the counterattack uh, in their long, long, long uh, road trip to begin the year. And I think Darren Maddox's style of play fits that decently. And the fact that he has gotten in the right places, which no DC United forward did last year, uh, is is a big deal. And he can still improve over what he's shown in this uh, preseason. He's been good, but not great. And... If we just continue to get this, he'll be decent. And if he can play a, a step above, then he could be the answer at forward uh, for this year. So one thing Maddox mentioned in the the post game comments was his confidence that that Zoltan Stieber could deliver the ball on what became the goal. That was the one highlight that was really widely available. Uh, Stieber had drifted out wide to the right. Um, nominally playing as the the central playmaker pulled the ball inside and and hit a great cross with his left foot to the the far post and and Maddox uh put in a bouncing header to to get it past the keeper uh I'm excited about seeing Stieber look good in the the center of the park because he's probably going to play there for the season opener Jason uh it does it does seem that way I do wonder um if we might not see the more conservative um, central midfield we saw in the the game against Malmo, um, given that it's against Orlando. Um, but Stieber certainly, uh, so far, he's been United's best player in the preseason. So um, if Ben Olsen wants, if Ben Olsen gets it in his head that going to Orlando and playing for a 0-0 isn't really going to work, um, then Stieber probably gets in the lineup in Lucho's uh, place because – um, right now he's creating a bunch of chances, uh, both from his corner kick service, which has been excellent. Um, this ball, uh, to the back post was pretty much perfect. Um, and, and something that was interesting to me to watch, um, when I watched, cause I watched this replay a few times that the, the team put out a gif and I watched the gif on loop a bunch of times. Um, it's not just that, uh, Stieber played the right ball. It's that, he received this pass and he wasn't necessarily looking for Maddox at first. He got the ball uh, with his back to goal kind of coming back into the middle and he took the time to put his foot on the ball, give it a touch um, and give the play some time to develop. He, he, by rolling his foot over the ball, he managed to give himself a little bit of space. Um, he sort of froze the defender that was on him and he gave himself that time, that little pause to look around, find his, find what was happening and see that Maddox, who had been involved in the early part of the buildup, was making a hard run um, from out wide, out wide on the left to the back post. He had drifted out of there, out of the middle, um, and slashed across uh, Ray Gaddis. And then Schneeber picked him out with the ball. The, the service was important, but it's just as important to have that uh, that calmness to uh, to slow things down for just a moment and then make the big play. Um, and it's interesting to think of what Stieber is going to, or, or how, how difficult it's going to be to remove Stieber from the lineup, because um, especially in these road games, you have to imagine given our experience watching Ben Olsen's teams, that they're not going to play wide open soccer. It's going to be more about keeping things tight and producing a few big moments. And 
by far the player producing those big moments in the preseason so far has been Zoltan Stieber. Um, and if this team is going to be gritting things out and relying on set pieces and things like that, then Stieber almost has to be on the field somewhere. Um, he's playing that well as compared to everyone else. So um, I think it's a great problem to have uh, for United. Um, once Lucho Acosta is back from his suspension, um, having to choose between him and Stieber and Yamil Assad and, and maybe even Paul Areola, who's been a little quiet since uh, um, the preseason started. Um, it's, it's a positive. It's a positive that Stieber is not taking the Assad signing as a knock on him, but has said, I'm going to produce to the best of my ability. And if I'm not on the field, it means that everyone else is playing better than this. Um, that's United needs more of that all over the field. Uh, Lucho, of course, not going to go quietly into the good night and give up his his starting spot once he's back from suspension. He scored the game-winning goal in this one just a few seconds after <laughs> the equalizer was scored late by Philadelphia. He he picked off a pass deep in uh, Philadelphia's end of the field, rounded the the center back, and and finished calmly. This is the other highlight I I managed to see. So you know, good job, guys, putting out the goals. I would just like to see more than that. Uh, Ben, I, I I think Jason's right. This is going to be a just a, a battle for playing time, and it might even end up being a, a four man rotation in that attacking line. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, Acosta played well. Uh, Stevie played well. Assad and Ariola are great players, and I think it also has knock on effects in the uh, defensive midfield. I think it depends on whether or not uh, Russell Knauss or Junior Moreno or Chris Jerkin can uh, make that position their own and whether or not they want to play two defensive midfielders or one defensive midfielder. Because if you want to go all out, you can uh, do a lot of things with uh, Lucho Acosta and potentially uh, Zoltan Stieber in the middle of the park and then a defensive midfielder behind them. And I know we'll get into... uh, the defensive midfield uh, a little bit later on, but well, let's I do it have... right now. That's literally the sure. next thing on my list. Uh, um, we have, we have, two, we have two data points now um, as far as games and both times Ben Olsen has run out the four, one, four, one that I've been singing the praises of and wanting to see. So, so that makes me happy, but it does open the question. Who's the six, especially if Russell Knauss uh, recovers slowly from this knee sprain that he reportedly has had. So, Continue, Ben. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to just go out and say it right now. I think that Chris Durkin has to get the starting minutes in this next game against the Jacksonville Armada on Wednesday. He, I, I think that Junior Mourinho had good spurts and played well, but I think Chris Durkin in his 15 minutes with the starters played even better. And I think you have to give Chris Durkin that benefit of the doubt and give him uh, he's earned some time to show what he can do with the starters. I think it's close enough that he has earned that. And he, I, I think he played better than Junior Mourinho and he should have that chance to uh, prove what he can do. And if he can beat out Junior Mourinho, then this team looks a lot different. And I think it looks good. He, was just intercepting the ball all over the place where Junior Moreno got caught in possession sometimes. And 
I don't know, Jason will get into more detail and, and sound better than I do, but <laughs> I liked what Chris Durkin did. I think he looked good, and I think he has a real shot to be a starter on day one for DC United this year. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I will say that I think Durkin did his chances uh, plenty of good with his performance. Um, he was really busy. He was breaking things up. Um, he had – there was a moment that um, – that I really liked that wasn't, it wasn't a big flashy moment, but it was something that's really smart. And it was just um, a ball popped to him. And there was a moment where if he slowed the play down, United was going to lose all of their momentum and have to build through, uh, through Philly. But they had this one half moment where they could, if Durkin played the ball quickly, they could get out on the run. And Durkin sensed that he sensed all of the things going on around him and figured out where everyone was and realized that he needed to hit a one-time pass to Bruno Miranda, who had started sprinting. Uh, Miranda saw some space and just started running. Um, and Durkin put the ball where Miranda needed it. Um, it the attack didn't amount to anything. Um, but if you do that enough times in a game, a player like Miranda or like Paul Ariola or like Emil Assad, if you let them get out on the run in those moments, that's how you – if United's going to become a transition team, that's the kind of pass they need to hit from central midfield a lot. Um and those def- if a defensive midfielder is providing those passes, it's all the better because you're catching teams even more off guard. Um, and, and I really like that element of of Durkin's play. This was, um, I mean, we've we've only seen him play two competitive games for DC United, um, and I feel like it's safe to say his debut against the Fort Lauderdale Strikers was more convincing than his second appearance against Christos FC. Um, this performance uh against um philly was a lot more in line with what we saw against fort lauderdale in 2016 where he was ahead of the play um where he was anticipating he was figuring things out um now i'm not convinced that he at the time maybe in the heat of the moment i was thinking that um moreno wasn't quite as good because there were a couple flaws in moreno's performance he i think he's on um Three, I think he's had three giveaways within 20 yards of goal uh, at this point in the preseason, which is alarming. Um, but at the same time, there's a very unflashy, just getting the job done element to Moreno um, that that is appealing, that does speak to his experience in the Venezuelan league and with Venezuela. Um, and it's kind of the job, especially if this is going to be a team playing you know, Segura is a technical play. Not that Segura doesn't do the defensive work, but he wants the ball. He wants the ball in tight spaces. Um, he'll be next to a number 10. And so you end up with a lot, a big demand on whoever's taking that number six role. This is just, you know, just like in 2016, where um, it required, you know, the very best of Marcelo Sarvas's last little burst of form. Um, and it was still like, well, they, he did well enough for it to be something, but we need better. Um in this case, um, you know, I think Canals can do it. Um, I think Moreno might also be able to provide that. But I've got to say that Durkin has done enough to at least keep this a competition. Um, in part, you know, Moreno hasn't been brilliant. He's been solid. Uh, I'm a little wary about is he keeping up with the sort of hustle and bustle of an MLS game because – the game against Malmo, Malmo plays a little more composed soccer than we often see in MLS, but Philly is a pretty good example of your average MLS team. You've got a lot of um, 
a lot of effort, a lot of running around. Um, sometimes it's intelligent. Sometimes it's not so intelligent. Um, and I think Moreno at times looked a little like, why is everyone running around like a maniac? Um, which is a natural thing for players coming from leagues that play a little slower to coming to MLS where it's not just that everyone wants to high press. It's that there's sort of a hecticness to it. It's not necessarily in enough control. Um, and I think maybe there was a little bit of Moreno, like, I'm not so sure this is how this is supposed to work. Um, and he's got to catch up to that. Um, but you know, if, if he's not ready to go, uh, on day one and canals, I mean, we're at the point where we're less than, uh, two weeks away from the season opener. If canals, this pre uh, sorry, I, I want to go on an aside here. Yeah. Um, has this preseason seemed way shorter than other preseasons? A little bit. Because, else because it, DC has only had four preseason games instead of the normal five or six. Yeah, um, they. It, those are those are how you, those are your time posts. Um, and in this case, we're getting right. three games in one week, and then one game a week before that, and that's the whole thing. Um, so it does feel short. It hasn't actually been shorter. It just feels shorter. Um, well, I feel like in the first part of the preseason, they had less. Uh, they had one less preseason game. Right. I feel like they usually had two preseason games in the first section. Yeah, come back exactly. to DC and then go back to Florida and have a couple more preseason games. Yeah, because normally you have your Malmo or um, uh, Young's uh, Coppings, yeah, uh, or exactly. or like a random game against like the U.S. Under Seventeens. Of course, in the past. Or like what Florida Gulf Coast University, right? In the past, the the U seventeens were at Bradenton, but that program now no longer exists. Um, so that takes away one opponent. But yeah, there are a bunch of D one college programs down there, and I know that other teams played Florida Gulf Coast or um, University of South Florida or University of Central Florida. Um, so th- normally, you'd expect that one more game, and it would feel it, it would definitely stretch preseason out a little bit. Um, but yeah, it, it has felt abbreviated because of, and maybe it's by design, maybe it's not. I don't know, but you know, I know the team has talked a lot about um, planning this preseason out very specifically for the schedule that they have being so unusual. They've made sure that they aren't approaching it as just another season, um, and and maybe part of that is let's play fewer games and spend more time on. Uh, the training ground and more time doing work on team structure and all the, all that stuff. Um, I hope that's what it is. I hope it's not just, well, we wanted to play five and we just couldn't find a team to play. Um, that would be the, the bad side, but we don't actually know. Um, but yeah, the finishing up with, with Moreno and Durkin um, and Canals. Um, if Canals can't play against Jacksonville on Wednesday, um, then you start to get skeptical about his ability to play 90 minutes against Orlando on March 3rd. And if he can't play 90, then he's probably not starting. Um, And so it starts to become, is it Moreno or is it Durkin to start the opener? Because, you know, let's face it. uh, If United can't get off the ground early in the early going, the, there might not be a dramatic finish down the stretch. Um, They've got to find a way to get some points in these early games. And, Getting uh getting off the ground is going to definitely with Orlando's attacking talent that they've assembled. Whoever starts in that number six role is going to have to play a very good game, and it's interesting to me that we're not necessarily sure who that starter should be. I, I feel like Moreno is still pretty far ahead if Canals isn't fit. Um, as far as the likelihood of who starts, 
But in terms of who should actually be starting, who's actually producing the best soccer, um, Durkin is right there with Moreno, and and I hope that he's still getting equal uh, consideration. One thing that might make a difference, I noticed from the the tweets around this game and and from conversations in our our our, our Slack channel, uh, the the game changed a little bit from the early going when Philadelphia was in a low block and DC United was was bossing things to when Philadelphia termed up the pressure on DC United. And that's when you saw the giveaway from Moreno and that's where Philly started kind of putting Steve Clark's goal under more pressure. I wonder, n- seeing that change, number one, I, I imagine DC United is going to be working on you know, ball retention and and working through pressure on the training ground. But I wonder if that makes any difference on player selection as well, depending on how we think Orlando is going to come out in that first game or, or whatever opponent down the line is going to come out. I mean, I I wish I knew more about what Orlando is doing, but they've made a point of not having their preseason games uh, put on film. Um, Bastards. Well, just like DC United. Well, no, DC has oh. made their games available. Orlando has not yeah, made their games available at all. Um, right. DC United, you've at least been able to watch yes. live. If, I just haven't been can, able to watch yeah. because they've been during working hours when I'm at work. Right. Um, but yeah, yeah, Orlando is not putting it out there, which um, I'm not entirely surprised. I feel like that's a, a Jason Christ thing to do. I also just think the MLS in general should have a policy that all preseason games are put on streams. Um, yeah, because February is essentially a dead month for MLS and there's no reason for it to be a dead month when you've got all of these questions being answered as we as we watch these preseason games. A lot of things are happening and to not put preseason games uh, to not make them available is just destructive. Uh, I think it's just dumb. It, it doesn't come with enough of a benefit from the competitive side. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, I, I do. I do have some concerns about, I mean, United did win the game. There were some nice moments, um, but it's not like Philly threw a high press at United. They just moved their lines mm-hmm. up a little further. Um, and that you know, they were pressing, they were sending numbers forward to press occasionally when, when they felt like it was on, but all in all, it was just, you know, this was a medium press. This was not a high press. They were, um, they moved their lines up and that was it. It wasn't let's send three guys into the box to try and press Steve Clark. Um, and United didn't deal with it very well. And I think that's gotta be something that they get better at pretty quickly because I don't think Orlando is going to play a deep line at home, um, with the attacking talent that they've assembled. Um, I don't think Houston is going to be, uh, sitting super deep, uh, in that second game that, that home game that DC, I mean, let's be honest, those two home games in that early stretch, the the game at the Plex and the game in Annapolis, those have to be wins. Um, those are big games. And for those, for one to come so early, um, it's not that long before DC is going to be facing Houston playing not necessarily a super deep line. And I, w- I would have liked to see them be better against that than they were against Philly. Um, you know, with the understanding that they're still missing, um, still missing Canals, which is big. Um, Patrick Mullins, maybe he's the starter, maybe he's not. We, you know, we talked about that. I think it's definitely up in the air now that Maddox keeps scoring goals. Um, but playing without Mullins, playing with Maddox, playing with that style of player out there, um, getting Assad up to speed, all of those things are factors. But 
another factor is just um, the defensive line wasn't very good at getting the ball into the midfield. Once that line of pressure moved up a little bit, it just seemed like the back four couldn't quite it wasn't that they weren't connecting the passes is that they weren't able to connect the passes where people needed them, where they could then move the ball further forward and keep possession. It was, uh, you know, you'd get the pass out of the back in the midfield, but the midfielder would be receiving it in trouble immediately. Um, and Philly just sort of tilted the game after that point. And not that, you know, they had the penalty kick, but other than that, they didn't create too many great chances. Um, in part because they're the union, they just don't have much talent. They have David Akam and CJ Sapong, and that's pretty much it. Um, but it's not great when a team of that caliber is able to to put you under that kind of uh, in that into that kind of uh, uncomfortable position just based on moving their lineup a little bit. So you mentioned the the back line. We we saw Steve Birnbaum get the start in this one. Well, you guys saw him. I I, I heard that he started. And, uh, and we know you didn't watch the game. Yeah, I'm I'm still <laughs> bitter about this. Okay. I'm bitter that I was unable to watch it on replay after the fact. This this will haunt me for at least the rest of the show. Um, if, not, nice. if not to my grave, then at least for the rest of this episode. Uh, Frederick Briant and Steve Birnbaum did get the start together in this one. First time we've seen the two of them run out together. And from my understanding, Steve Birnbaum looked better than he did for much of last year, which is an encouraging sign. Yeah. I uh, thought that, uh, bird bomb looked, uh, I don't know if he was up to his, uh, original self, but he definitely looked better than he did in 2017. And I was well encouraged. He made some good sliding tackles. He made some good, uh, headers to head danger away. And I just hope that that continues. And he's closer back to his uh 2016 self. Yeah, um I think he's definitely looking sharper um alongside Briant. Um I wouldn't go so far as to say he's looking great or anything. Um no. but definitely sharper. Um I, I do have some concerns. I I thought it was interesting the um quote sheet that the team produced after the game from the press conference which included um or i say press conference like it wasn't just standing off to the side because i don't know that their stadium actually has the um press conference area um but uh the there were a couple quotes from ben olsen saying that he was pleased with um how the team defended in the box and i found myself thinking after the game that i was displeased with what i saw in terms of defending in the box um, they were winning the first ball in a lot of times. They were winning the header, um, but it still seemed like the ball was not necessarily getting clear that quickly. They maybe weren't winning the second ball in those moments, um, and I want to see more of that. But as far as uh, Briant and Birnbaum being tough to beat in the air, which I think is the main idea, um, they have proved that. Um, normally, CJ Sapong is a real problem for DC United. And normally, he's a real problem for Steve Birnbaum. Um, and in this game, he, the penalty kick was his one real look and, uh, it wasn't because the penalty came not via Sapong or or it was Sapong getting fouled, but, um, it wasn't Briant or Birnbaum fouling him. It wasn't them making a mistake. Um, so as far as that goes, that side is positive, but, um, I, I do want to see more from that pairing. I want to see, uh, just a little more of an authoritative, uh, play a little bit more 
clarity for the rest of the guys around them. Um, but no, it's it's definitely. I don't see the 2017 Steve Birnbaum where we were all asking, like, why is Steve Birnbaum playing so badly? I don't see that player out there right now, which is a big positive because um, this team can't afford for that player to come back. They need the old Birnbaum back as soon as possible. Uh, I think we'll have more next week on the potential goalkeeping battle. Right now we've had, we have two data points and they're both Steve Clark getting starts. Um, and I, I think there's some issues to take with with his game, and it'll be interesting to see whether uh, Osted gets the the nod in the the third preseason game. But I, I think I would rather save that for next week. So unless you guys have anything else you want to talk about from this nope. game, Jason, um, anything? I'm looking at the the. I guess. Um, you know, it, it's interesting to note the some of the the minutes going where they've gone. Um, I think we have to start thinking you know, that O'Neill Fisher might be starting at left back at the start of the season, for, at least for a game or two, um, given that Taylor Kemp hasn't been cleared to play a single minute in preseason yet, given that he wasn't at training 100% until I want to say last week, last Monday, I want to say. Um, so he might not be there when the opening game for the seasons uh, comes around. He might be fit enough to be on the bench, but he might not be fit enough to start. Um, Fisher, I thought, had mostly a, a pretty decent game. I mean, he was had the easier assignment going up against uh, Fabian Herbers instead of David Akam, um, but there were still moments that weren't so great. Um, I, I think there needs to be a little bit more – it just looks like a situation where they need more time on the training ground to get used to each other because – um, Fisher is more attack minded than Kemp. He's a little more willing to keep the ball than Kemp is. We, we've talked a lot about Kemp going with long balls early. Um, Fisher tends to, and maybe this is a product of Seattle telling him you have to keep the ball longer. I don't know, but, um, based on the tape we have of Fisher over the years, he does want to play a little more. Kemp is more like, well, I'm under pressure. The ball's going long and that's that. Um, so, you know, getting used to that is going to be something interesting. Um, hopefully, Assad gets up to speed because, you know, again, he had a, a fairly quiet outing um, given that, I mean, he'd had, what, five days of training with the team. So it's not really a surprise. Um, but if Assad gets up to speed, then they'll have some cover there for Fisher um, if he's got a start. But um, I do have to keep in mind that, you know, Kemp was also not convincing in 2017. I thought he was the least bad of four bad options in the back um, or not just four. It was pretty much everyone that played it in defense last year. Um, but, you know, we shouldn't be considering him as a, as a shoe in to start. Um, Fisher has done well on Seattle teams that were quite frankly, better than DC's teams of the last couple years. Um, so it, it is interesting to me that, Fisher might have an, an, an avenue to become first choice. Um, and it really depends on a, how fast Kemp recovers and B, you know, if Fisher can play well in these next two games, because let's face it, you know, there aren't, ver- there isn't really much in the way of depth on the team at fullback. So he's going to be playing a decent amount against Jacksonville and against Las Vegas. Um, so yeah, it, it'll be interesting to watch. Uh, I'm curious to see if he can, put forward a convincing argument that he shouldn't just be 
the starter while Kemp gets up the speed, but maybe even become the starter straight up. I think that's it then. Uh, we will be right back to talk with Matthew Doyle in a future that may have already happened. Stick around. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is our goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious, in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster. Matthew Doyle probably doesn't need much of an introduction to our listeners. He he carries the nerd banner over at MLSsoccer.com <laughs> and on Extra Time Radio. Uh, and we like to have him on the show this time of year to, to help us zoom out a bit and see what's up around the league. Matt, welcome back to the show. Thank you, gentlemen. It's good to be back. So what are you drinking tonight? Uh, I am I'm dry for the time being. It was, it was a long and, and celebratory... Uh, uh, holiday season for me and um you know in my new role at, at mls i'm going to be on on video a lot more and they keep putting me next to 20 something <laughs> professional athletes <laughs> so in an effort to not look like uncle fester I, I, I'm, I'm cutting back on the booze uh until i can cut back on the weight so. You just need to get Bobby to drink more, and then it'll be fine by That's comparison. It's actually a really good point. Just drag down the people around you um, <laughs> in order to look good. That's that's actually pretty brilliant. Yeah, uh, I guess, geez, I, I think you're my manager now. So congratulations. <laughs> ben just got a promotion. Yeah. All right, great. See you all later. <laughs> so uh, welcome back to, to this coast. Uh, I don't know how you feel to be back, but... Let's let's jump right in. What's the big story for you this offseason around MLS? Oh, I mean, I, I think it's the influx of cash in between um, the the regular TAM, uh, you know, which is one point two million a year, plus anything that you you had the ability to roll over, plus you can pull forward your twenty nineteen TAM, which is another one point two million. And then you have discretionary TAM, um, which is $2.8 million. Uh, so between all of those player acquisition instruments, teams just have, have more money 
to throw around than in ever in, in MLS history. It's not even close. And you're seeing it with the, the, the quality and the age of the players that are coming, that are coming to the league now. And you, you have, you end up having really, really, I mean, look, if you're not bringing good players off your bench, you're not going to compete in 2018 in MLS. And that, I mean, even two years ago, that wasn't necessarily the case. So this is, I mean, even more than when Tam was introduced, this feels like a new era to me. Um, it's, 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 be, it's made it a very difficult season to try to predict um, because so much talent has come in and you don't know how it's all going to fit and you don't know uh, which is going to be at which end of the spectrum in terms of productivity. Yeah, and it, it feels around here anyway like it's shaping up for this summer to be kind of bonkers. I think so. I, I, I think so. And, and um, part of the uh, part of the thing that makes that interesting, though, is a, a number of teams are loaded up already. And uh, look, we all know there are too many playoff spots, but it's not like a couple of years ago when it was six out of nine getting into getting into the postseason. You know, even back in the day, it was like five, five out of eight. This is six out of 11, six out of 12 in the West. Like, if you have three bad months to start the season, you can't just, you, you can't count on just getting hot and, and, and making it. Whereas in, in years past, you could. Um, and I think that's, I, I think the teams that are choosing to, to keep the powder dry. Um, are playing with fire. And, and there's no better example of that than, I, I think, RSL last year because they were the best team in the Western Conference in the second half of the season, and they did not make the playoffs. And I don't think, I don't think we've seen that a lot in, in Major League Soccer history. So, it, you know, I, I understand, given what Seattle's done the last couple of years, it makes sense to, to wait and, you know, have a, have a big card to play um, come summertime, but you you better play it right. You better start winning, just like the Sounders did in 2016. Or, you, I mean, otherwise you're not gonna you're not gonna have a November. So, speaking of keeping the powder very, very, very dry, uh, what is Minnesota doing? Do you think they have any chance of being not last in the Western Conference? Yeah, I do because they have. Uh, the fortune of playing in the in the worst conference. Um, Colorado looks very bad to me right now. Well, yeah. Um, I think LAFC is not instilling me with much confidence as it stands. I think their defensive midfielder is Callum Malice, and their box to box midfielder is thirty three year old Benny Failhaber. And what they have eighteen players right now? I think so. Yeah. Uh, it's so those two teams. I, I, I don't love Vancouver. Um, yeah, you know, the, I, I think those are those are the teams that will be in the battle below the the playoff line. So um, Minnesota do have a chance to not finish last, but at, at the same time, um, boy, they they, they got to do something. They got to do something, man. <laughs> Other than signing every winger who who is on the market, they have to come up with a plan. Um, I mean, and I, I don't sign, see sign, it. 
Simon Dawkins is the answer, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Unquestionably the answer. Oh. Uh, Matt, I guess uh, to build off of that, um, this uh, maybe it's just me, but it seems like this has just been a weird offseason where you've got these sort of unequal approaches. Like Minnesota has essentially the same. I was kind of yelling about this uh, elsewhere that Minnesota was starting a preseason game with a lineup they could have fielded last year when they were horrible. Um, and Colorado has made a lot of strange acquisitions, but they don't seem to have gotten better. And yet on the other side of that, you've got uh, Orlando uh, just loading up on all kinds of talent. They've got, you know, seven or eight better players than they used to have and better meeting like high end, you know, high quality players, not just guys filling out the roster and, and building their depth. Um, it, I, I feel like I look around and every team is almost to extremes. There's not a lot of middle. It's a lot of teams that either didn't do anything or did a bunch of things. Is that, un, does that feel unusual to you or am I kind of losing my mind a little bit? No, I, I think you're, I think you're focusing on the, on the extremes, right? Because uh, obviously Orlando city's Orlando City's offseason is pretty extreme and just how much they rebuilt. But then you look at, I mean, like D.C., for example. You know, they, they, they did their typical conservative signings from within the league, but then they also went out and got a Venezuelan national teamer and a Costa Rican national teamer. And, you know, they, they kind of – this is kind of good, I, I would say, not overly ambitious, but not um, – wildly conservative type of, of off season. Um, and there are a lot, you know, I, I think you could even argue that the Red Bulls fit into that, into that category as well, because while they did, you know, jettison some talent this year, what they did was replace their 30 something playmaker with a 20 something playmaker, which we see teams all over the world do that. Um, so I, I actually do think that, it's kind of run the gamut. And obviously, like you said, on one side, it's Orlando who did everything from like trading for, you know, the best playmaker in the league and the, you know, best 11 winger and signing a young DP for millions of dollars and so on and so forth. Um, to That's one side to Philadelphia being, <laughs> you know, the sort of the, the bottom of the barrel other side. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> um, so it's, it, it really, I mean, it's going to be, a, it's going to be a test of some theories on, on where to find good talent and where to find affordable talent. And I, I'm very curious to see how it plays out. So I'm curious about tactical trends going through this year. Last year, we saw a team that played mostly out of a three back win the treble. Of course, they won MLS Cup in a 4-4-2 diamond because LOL, why not? Uh, I'm, I'm curious what you think is going to be uh, the story this year. I mean, last year we also saw the the Red Bulls play, you know, dust off the 3-6-1. Uh, and so I'm curious what you think the, the story this year will be. Uh, I, I think we're going to see more... Um, more formational diversity. And I think we're going to continue to see um, some tactical diversity specifically in regards to where teams draw their line of confrontation. You know, the Red Bulls and Sporting KC and Atlanta are probably all going to 
continue to high press. Vancouver, Colorado are going to continue to to counterattack, and we'll figure out where everybody else sort of fits within there. Um, in terms of formations, Colorado is going to play a three back. Dallas is toyed with a three back. Chicago's toyed with a three back. Um, but it's still, I mean, it really is pretty much a four two three one four three three league still. Uh, a few coaches will. We'll try to subvert that a little bit. I mean, Greg Vanny's subverting it now by going back to a four four two diamond, um, and, and the, the guy in San Jose is subverting it a little bit by going to like a sort of a classic box four midfield. Um, but it, you know, the league's not getting too far from its roots. Uh, Matt, I guess uh, I'm glad that you brought up um, San Jose with um, Mikhail. Starre, I'm sure that's incorrect pronunciation, but I don't know how to pronounce his name. Um, and it's kind of a weird year where we've got five different or four different out and out MLS outsiders coming in as coaches. And then Brad Friedel has been around the league, but not really involved. Um, we've got Remy Gard up in Montreal. Hudson, Anthony Hudson is taking over the Rapids and Giovanni Severese got finally got his shot in MLS with Portland. Um that's uh I mean that's a huge chunk of the league is is um not the old MLS retread that the coaching cycle is sort of ended. Um and Bob Bradley's coming back as well and he's been away for quite a while. Um how big of an impact do you think that's going to make with all of these new new ideas coming into the league? It it's impossible to say, but I hope it's a lot. I, I think we've seen over the last couple of years um, MLS has become a much better tactical league and uh, has has a lot of um, has more coaches with different ideas, more coaches with different backgrounds and different perspectives. And I think that's made the league more fun to watch and a little bit less predictable. And you know, as you said, it's it's kind of been turbocharged this off season. We're getting guys, whether they're from Venezuela, New Zealand, or France, <laughs> like that's it's a pretty good spread. So it's it, it, the the hope is that. Um, is that this kind of diversity in background leads to diversity in uh, tactics and just general approaches. But uh, <laughs> watching off soccer, and the, the truth is that a, a conservative coach is a conservative coach no matter what continent he's coaching on or she's coaching on. So um, I, I just hope it. Uh, most of the money is being invested in attack, and I, I hope – that the coaches end up coaching to that because uh, with all due respect to a, a good tight nil nil draw, um, I just about at my threshold with those and it's, it, the season hasn't even started yet. So. so we all know what DC United has done in their midfield between August of last year and then through this past off season. But with DC United basically just having, uh, Patrick Mullins and Darren Maddox. Do you think that those two guys are enough for DC United to at least tread water till the summer? Do you think they're enough to challenge for the uh, playoffs until the summer, or with the with the midfield that they have? Or do you think they're that's going to be their fatal flaw this year? I I still have a lot of Patrick Mullins stock, and I I. I, I like the underlying numbers. I like that whenever he's been healthy, he's been a productive striker in this league. Um, and I think that the gamble DC took is that 
let's see let's see what we have in him for real for the first half of the season uh with this you know high powered attacking midfield behind him and if it's not enough um then we'll go out and we'll get a dp in the summer and if it is enough then hey we can use that dp elsewhere whether it's you know on the back line or you know some other spot in midfield and or maybe just giving a guy a raise um, so I, I think they're taking a calculated gamble that Patrick Mullins is the Patrick Mullins they had in 2016 and not the one that they had in 2017. Um, and I think they're right, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet a whole lot of money. I wouldn't bet my job on it. Okay? <laughs> I wouldn't bet my job on it. And I, it does feel a little bit like Ben Olsen's job is writing on uh, that being correct. That Patrick Mullins being the real Patrick Mullins. Um, so, I mean, th- that's a long-winded answer to your question. Like, yeah, I, I think it will be enough for them. Um, and I'm much more concerned about DC's defense than I am about their attack. I, I, I think they'll generate goals. Um, I, I'm not sure they'll stop them. Well, in the back part of 2016, they had to score three goals a game or else they were going to lose. It seemed like um, they were winning games four to three and three to two, which was crazy fun and also really maddening at the same time. Uh, Not for a neutral. Yeah, that, that I understand. Um, United played 12 of 14 on the road to open the season before they, they finally get to Christen Buzzard Point uh, in, in mid-July. We've seen in the past Sporting Kansas City, Toronto FC, turn those long road trips and really turn the the flip side of them, the big homestands at the end of the year into successful seasons. They just owned that end of the year. Um, how do you think DC United are, are set up to, to try to pull the same feat in 2018? Um, I, I think they're set up where they, they have to, regardless yeah. of uh, <laughs> what the setup is or not. The, the reality is that they have to figure out how to do it. And, I think there has to be some uh, confidence that they can, considering that they they do have a a number of the key guys from the from the run from two years ago. Um, uh, but man, a lot of a lot of stuff has to go right. And as I said before, like the margin margin for error is it, it, it's getting narrower and narrower in in, in this league because the good teams look there were fewer draws per you know anything in last year like per game there were fewer draws in terms of percentage of games ended in fewer games uh, ended in draws fewer percentage of games ended in draws than in any year in league history you got year. there I got yes, there eventually good work. I should start drinking again um, <laughs> I think that's right yeah, uh, and it's because the good teams are better than they used to be, and because parity is not as defining a factor as it used to be, it's still there, and it's still you know it is still baked into the way MLS you know salary cap salary budget works, but it's not as overpowering as as what we had in the past, so. Uh, a couple years ago, if you were just kind of scuffling along a few points below the line, you could, you know, you didn't have to worry about the top five or six teams running away with things. Uh, now you could, 
I mean, we just about saw it last year in, mm-hmm. uh, in the Eastern Conference. The top five teams had basically clinched their playoff spot by the end of May. Um, so it's the margin for error is it's not it's not what it used to be, and I think that's going to make it um, better for a lot of teams uh, in the early part of the season because they're going to have to go out and get points. And much as that is anathema to a guy like Ben Olsen, um, that means he's going to have to take this team out on the road and try to win the occasional game instead of playing for the nil-nil. Matt, keeping it with uh, DC, I I know um, you tried to cover, like, however many games were taking place on Saturday at the same time. It was, like, six games. Um, But you tweeted uh, of the the portion of the DC Philly game you saw, um, you tweeted out that you meant – you. You were impressed with something that three three players from DC did. You mentioned Zoltan Stieber, uh, Junior mm-hmm. Moreno, and Lucho Acosta. Um, mm-hmm. Zoltan, I imagine uh, it's not too hard to divine uh, what impressed you there. But uh, what about uh, Moreno and Acosta? Did you like? I, I'm sure the goal is part of Acosta's positives. But what else were you looking for with those two? With with Moreno, his ability to just be that shield in front of the back line and. Um, do the dirty work without chasing. Uh, it'll win the ball pretty efficiently and shuttle it forward pretty efficiently and, and, and just get things moving when the opportunity presented um, it sort of caught my eye. The It's tough to read too much into that, though, because you know playing against a, a union team, where you know the number ten was an eighteen-year-old kid who's actually probably more of a number eight. It wasn't like the toughest test, but I liked what I saw of him. Um, and then with Acosta, my issue with him has always been: Are, are you playing east-west? Or are you playing north-south? And even before the goal, he came in there and he was playing north-south. He looks, he looked to me like a guy who maybe was thinking, you know what, I have to actually win my job. I, I can't. You know, I can't just count on being in the starting lineup every week. Um, And and I like to see that from him because he's a good little player. I mean, he doesn't have the greatest vision in the world, but he's got a ton of skill um, and he makes stuff happen when he's locked in. And and against the Union, I thought he was locked in. So I want to zoom back out uh, a little bit, Uh, actually beyond MLS here and and talk about... um, Las Vegas Lights FC, uh, who sure. I think might be the world's most entertaining team through two preseason games in their history. Uh, multiple red cards, Chalice getting himself thrown out. Um, and then smoking a cig in the stands while still coaching the team. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Why, why would I, what, do you think, what do you think? What do you think Chalice's brand is? I think he's a, I think he's a Newport's guy. <laughs> you don't think Marlboro? No, dude. He's He's... Menthol all the way. Gotta be. <laughs> Camp, camel menthols, maybe? Oof. I, I mean, I'll go, I'll go with it. I'll go with it. Sure. My little brother used to smoke those. I never understood. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I... God. Yeah. Uh, but but in seriousness, in MLS this year, who is, who are you predicting to be the team that will just go out and be entertaining, whether that's high-scoring games or just wackiness on the... Maybe not on the scale of las vegas but uh in that direction the red bulls again red bulls were so much fun last year and that 
bizarre wackadoo three 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 one that they played, and like there's of course there's another rumor out or you know report I guess because it's from Goff and Sam Stashkel and uh, I think Christian Dyer has it as well. Um, that no one over twenty five. Yeah, right. That they're that they're maybe trading Felipe, which nobody thought would ever happen because Felipe and Jesse Marsh go back, you know, almost a decade now. I mean, so, that's a match made in in, eh. in well, someplace for for in, DC fans who yeah, you know, in, obviously in have always hated the that team in Jersey. But Felipe has just earned our ire even before he went. Went there. He has a way, doesn't he? Yeah, he really does. Uh, did, you, did you hear Bobby Boswell? I mean, you were you were there. <laughs> Bobby Boswell yeah. on on your podcast <laughs> yeah. this week yeah. talked about how you know he can he can let bygones be bygones for a lot of guys, except Felipe. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, so yeah, like I, you know, the Red Bulls will keep it interesting. I think Orlando City is going to be interesting uh, and fun as hell, uh, given all the the changes they've made and all the attacking talent they have. Those are two that I think jump out at me. And I, I, I will admit that there's a level of interest with FC Dallas, um, given how much they have to prove after last year. And mm-hmm. given, I mean, they still have a ton of talent on that team. So, uh, I guess speaking of, or actually you just mentioned two teams from the, the CCL, which is, uh, we're recording this on Monday. The CCL is coming out or starting up again uh, tomorrow. Um, what do you think of the prospects of the five? It, it's a crazy number. It feels like a five five player or five teams that are going to be in there um, with um, you know Colorado and Toronto are kicking it off. I think <clears throat> we know how that one's going to go, but um, still, what do you think of the the hopes of those five teams? Um. Well, let's not write off Colorado just yet because we all thought the Red Bulls were going to kill Vancouver last year, and and we saw what the Caps did. Um, You know, I did have Vancouver winning, but I also was completely going with heart and not head in that direction. So, follow your heart, my son. You turned out to be correct in that one. Um, I, yeah, I think Toronto's the best team that MLS has ever had, and thus is the best team that uh, MLS has ever sent to the Champions League. Uh, Dallas certainly have a ton of talent, and, um, you know, the new guy they got, Mascara, is legit. Uh, the Red Bulls, uh, I, I'm not sure that Kaku is going to be um, perfect for them, but he certainly looks really good. So, they, like, these, those three teams in, in particular, well, Seattle's pretty good, too. You know, so I, I guess those four teams all have a good argument to make. But, like, I, I'm not sure. Do you guys watch, you know, Tigres? Do you watch Club America? Uh, yes. <laughs> those are, yeah. those are, like, oof. If an MLS team beats either of those teams, um, That'd be a hell of an accomplishment, and it would signal, in its way, it would signal a new era. I'm not holding my breath for it to happen. I do think that um, this offseason, MLS as a whole, has moved closer to the Liga MX, but until uh, our, our teams go out there in this competition and start beating those guys, um, you know, we're still second best, uh, and there's, there's no particular way around that. 
Matt, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, tell the few of our listeners who don't already follow you online where they can do that. Now you could follow me on Twitter at Matt Doyle seven six, and everything I write and podcast and video it's all on MLSsoccer.com. Find us at Black and Red United. We're on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast at Black and Red U for the website. We're also on Patreon, patreon.com slash filibuster if you feel like supporting us financially. And of course, we love it when you do that. Um, <laughs> send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, uh, the Internet Archive, wherever podcasts are purveyed that's where you can find us mostly though please tell a friend about the show that's the best way to get the word out even better than ratings and reviews i don't know if that's actually true anyway uh until next time for jason and ben and thanking matt one more time i'm adam say goodbye jason chalice forever chalice for president (laughs) 